Support comes from the Osher Lifelong Learning Institute at the University of Southern Mississippi. Ollie offers classes, seminars, and socials, both in person and online, to help individuals continue in their love of learning. Registration ongoing. More at usm.edu O-L-L-I. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Okie dokie, folks. Welcome back. Horticulture's fellow rushing, and we've got the lines wide open. You want to call in and talk about gardening or garden-related stuff? I'm ready. I'm ready. I don't know it all. Don't want to know some of the stuff I already know. I wish I could forget some of it because it's so stupid and it's scary. I mean, I was showing Java. You know, you were talking about the the magnolia flowering on campus at J State. Yeah, I was up there yesterday and I walked through these magnolias and they really just hit me in the nose. Like, wow, this is such a sweet smell. Yes, our state flower, state tree. It is a mag. You know, uh, the oldest botanic garden. In Europe, the oldest, it goes back to like the 1500s, is in Amsterdam. And of all, it's a wonderful place. There's stuff from all over the world, high end horticultural botanic garden. The only big sculpture they have in that whole garden is an oversized flower of our state tree, Magnolia Grandiflora. Doesn't grow in Europe. Well, I mean, they have to plant it, but the only sculpture they've got is this, this because it's such an incredible, it's ancient. It's, even though it's a flower, it's really more like a prehistoric, one of the earliest flowers, but it's so fragrant. Yeah, no, it's, it is great. But I got to tell you something, though, it's kind of kind of creepy. I hate to bring folks down, but I'm getting a lot of uh, emails and, and uh, uh, things online about gardenias. Now, they smell good, too. They're big yeah. shrubs. they got big white flowers, real, real fragrant, sweeter than magnolias. Uh, the, the receptionist here at MPB, she said that uh, uh, magnolia smells citrusy, lemony. Mm-hmm. Well, gardenia will turn you puce. I mean, <laughs> you know, there's nothing like being raised uh, in the 50s and 60s, no air conditioning, but you had an attic fan, and there was a gardenia right outside the window, and it came washing over you all night long to make you just feel green. But when gardenia flowers and magnolia flowers, they're, they're white, but when they start to fade, they turn real yellow real fast. And it ain't because the flowers want to. <laughs> There's a bug in there. Oh, wow. I, I showed it to you a while ago, but I didn't tell you what it was about. These things are shaped like little cigars, and I'm thinking you could probably fit two or three on a type written letter I. I mean, they're t- small. You, you have to tap. Yeah, tiny is the word. Yeah, tiny. You, you have to put them up minuscule. They will go. <laughs> you tap a gardenia or magnolia flower or even a rose on a piece of paper <clears throat> and look on that piece of paper. And you're going to find these tiny little things. They sort of crawl. They sort of flip around. You know, they don't hop, but they're really, really small. And they're called thrips. And what happens when the flower bud uh, is still tight, thrips burrow down in the flower bud between the petals because they're little. And they're shaped like little submarines. And they get down there and they sort of chew on the, the inner petals, and that turns the inner petals brown. Wow. Roses, gardenias, magnolias, they're loaded with thrips. And you don't want to really look at it unless you're just a curious person. But if you're easily creeped out, don't do it. Because it'll make you want to just oh, get it off of me. you got to rub your arms. It's something you can't unsee. No, no. It's a, it's a lot of them. And it's creepy. You know, they don't bother people. They don't bother pets. You know, you could probably a teaspoon of them, probably a bit of a million of them. <laughs> but anyway, thrips are what's called gardenia flowers turn yellow. And there's really not anything practical you can do about it. 
you know, there's some things you can poison your plants with. But who wants to poison a plant for something that's really not? To just just say gardenia flowers go from white to yellow. And or just part of the process. Let it go. That's right. That's right. But anyway, thrips are a thing. And it's hard to explain it without thumping one. And so anyway, if you want to show some kids something creepy, <laughs> find a rose or a gardenia or a magnolia. They've all got thrips in them. Tap them have the kids tap it on a piece of paper and look real, real close. They will be amazed. And you'll be horrified. <laughs> anyway, we're going to be talking about gardening for the next hours. If you want to give us a call, it's toll-free, 1-877-MPB-RING. Let's see, we've already got a call from Melanie in Lower Alabama. Hey, Melanie, how are you? I am very well, thank you. Good. I was in your neck of the woods this past weekend. I went down to give a lecture and a, and a garden consultation down in Santa Rosa Beach uh, uh, Island, Florida, and I came back and took the long route turned at Foley and headed towards the, the bay and wound my way back over to, to you know, to the, the, the long way back up you through Fairhope. Wilmer? Uh, Wilmer. Oh, 98? No, no, I, no, I was coming. I was coming. No, I was coming back from Florida. Anyway, wound back through the farm country and found some really cool – found a, a farmhouse that's got uh, life-size creatures from the Wizard of Oz made out of metal in, their, in the middle of nowhere, you know. <laughs> but uh, anyway, spent a lot of time in Fairhope also. What a cool, cool, pretty town. So, so what you got going on this morning? Well, I have a couple of questions. So I have some gladiolas, which I – you know the orange and yellow ones that grow by the side of the road? Yeah, yeah. So I have some of those, and I also have some white ones, which I also found growing in a, I think it was a deserted house was there, but you, the house is not. Yeah, they, the, the, the white ones should be through blooming by now. Yeah, they're just about, all, both of them are just about through, but yeah. uh, the thing is, uh, do they grow from seeds? <laughs> I thought they were just <laughs> corms. Well, they they a little of both, you know. Uh, the, you know, they do have corms, and they multiply rapidly. You know, you plant one yes. this year, you're going to have four next year. Yes, and, but I and, have to pull them out by the handfuls. I yeah. guess that's what it is at the bottom. Yeah, but it's a little, little sort of a flattened. Looks like a bulb, but it's flattened and it's not quite hairy, but it's something like that. Yeah, no, that's that's the main way. But they they spread so easily that I mean, I'm sure that they would set seed because you see them growing in places where there's no way that anything could have gotten the corn over there. But mostly they multiply pretty rapidly by those little corms. Yeah. Mine are just kind of getting out of hand. I, I don't know. It's like in Mobile County. I mean, anything you plant one of next year, you've got five, and next year you've got twenty five. <laughs> Unless there's a peony. Yeah, well, yes, that's true. I've never tried them because I've heard they're hopeless. <laughs> well, they're all, all the Gulf Coast, they are. What yeah. about wajillas? Are they, do they thrive here? I don't want anything that I've got to. Wajilla is one of those old kind of plants that not many people, well, first of all, they don't sell them at garden centers. They can, but they don't because nobody comes in asking for them because they bloom after everybody gets through buying azaleas. But it's an old-fashioned plant. They grow perfectly well. Perfectly well. And it blooms after there's clusters of tubular flowers. I've seen them in red, pink, white. There's some with variegated leaves. There's some with burgundy leaves. But Wygela is a terrific old-fashioned shrub. Blooms, you know, they, they've been blooming the past couple of three weeks or so, but they're well after azaleas. Well, see, the hydrangeas are just coming into their glory. And yeah. Wygelas are in between. So you know, I, I don't have any pink ones because any one I buy turns blue. So. Yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah. So I was. I knew why Jill was coming, like pinks and burgundies and that kind of thing. So I was. Well, like, no, yeah, it's most. You know, the most common ones you see are red or pink, but and with green leaves. But there's a lot of really, really cool ones: deep burgundy leaves and variegated leaves. But it's between azaleas and hydrangeas. And okay. uh, and and by the way, you said it correctly. A lot of people say azalea, wisteria, uh, magnolia, uh, hydrangea, but this is YG la, and ain't no ia on the end. I <laughs> kind of look like it when you read it. I uh, know. So one other thing, if I order them, uh, sometimes you see them. They're always a lot cheaper if you buy the bare root plants. I hadn't, I haven't looked for YG las yet, but. But I was wondering, do you? What do you think? What's the? It's just, it's just, it's, it's just a really good tough bowl, uh, shrub. So it wouldn't hurt it if it was bare root. Probably. No, no, not if you get it from a quality place and it's alive when you get it and you plant it as soon as you get it, or yeah. put it in a pot or something. It's just a, it's just, it's a real sturdy, overlooked, old-fashioned shrub. And I guess it's too late to do it now this year, right? Uh, you know, I, I don't know. You know, you might be able to get one from a garden center that's not bare root, but a little, I mean, a mail order place that's in a little pot. But uh, anyway, it's a good plant, well worth investing. But they get pretty good size, so don't put it where you can't have to prune it all the time. Right, right. All righty, thanks a lot. Have all a great day. You bet, Melanie. Thank you. Bye-bye. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> now, what does he mean by bare root? Uh, when you get it, it doesn't have any dirt on it. it just you know, they, they grow them in these nursery beds or pots, mm-hmm. and they pull them up. They wash the dirt off. They wrap them up in some moist paper, and they ship it to you. And you get there, and you open it up, and it just roots. Is there you know, any so, benefits to that? It's cheap. Oh, okay. Cheap. okay. Okay. But the the drawback is if 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 it gets stuck in a, on a loading dock someplace, mm-hmm. or if you're not home when they deliver it and it sits out in the sun in a box or something like that. So, uh, but anyway, they're they're really cheap because you don't have to they don't have to worry with potting soil and pots and all that kind of stuff. So, not the best time. Bare root stuff's best done in the winter time while their plants are dormant. Once they start growing, they really need some 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 roots. So anyway, Wajila. There's another really good old-fashioned plant out there called Dutzia or Deutzia. It's big. It's a big shrub. It's got sprays of white flowers. Blooms after azaleas. But I was raised with these kind of plants that are they're considered old-fashioned, but they're really durable. It's just that azaleas are in bloom in pots when people want to plant stuff. They so go to the garden center, and that's what they see. They buy the flowers instead of the shrubs. Uh-huh. So uh, and everybody's got azaleas. They got nothing except. Folks who got a Wajila got some flowers. So, anyway, let's go to, let me see, lean over, uh, Delana and Jackson. Good morning, lady. Hi. Howdy, what's Good up? Good morning. Howdy. Hi. Good morning, Felder. Good morning, Java. Thank you so much for all you do. National treasures. Uh, <laughs> if she only knew. We don't even have shirts on. We're sitting here with our shirts off. <laughs> no, we're not. Felder, I want to thank you because I dressed up as you for Halloween this past year. <laughs> so thank you so much. For Wait, this, image. did somebody send me a picture of that? That is very possible. I think a few people you're tangentially related to were at that party. Wow, what a what a weird life I've got. Heaven help us. <laughs> Uh, but I do have a question related to gardening. So I love plants. I love animals, too. I have a cat. My cat loves plants as well. And I have an issue every time I bring a plant home, she eats it. Yeah. And I was wondering what plants you would recommend for, you know, I have a small apartment, so nothing huge or nothing where I can really put it out of her reach. But yeah. it's not really an issue with my cat eating it, or she would just wouldn't want to eat it in the first place. It's a real good question, and it's the opposite of what I usually get asked is, is what plants 
are poisonous rather than what plants are not poisonous. And I'll be honest with you, the list is, is extensive on both sides that I can't remember. You know, because people usually ask me, is this plant poisonous, not is this plant not poisonous? But it's a, it's a good question. So uh, I tell you what, if you'll stay tuned uh, during the break, I could probably Google that real quick because I want to learn. Uh, but otherwise, I'll make a report next week. Uh, in general, though, here's the deal. Most of the poisonous plants are not toxic. There's a, the, you know, a lot of people don't realize toxic means it's deadly. It'll kill something. Uh, poison just means it'll make them throw up on your pillow, and they do that anyway. But uh, so so keep in mind that a whole lot of plants are are not toxic. They're you know they they can make a a pet sick or a child sick. Uh, one thing you might want to do is give your cat something to eat on purpose. Get you a little bowl and uh, get some some ryegrass or oat seeds. And every few weeks, just start a few little oat or ryegrass seeds in a pot, and they come up and they're sweet, they're tasty. The cats prefer those kind of things, and it leaves a nice little easy to clean up green lump on your pillow. Progress notes, great recommendation. I'll stay tuned for the rest of the list. Thank you so okay. much, Felder. And again, thank you, Java, too. You bet. Woohoo. Now, now, as far as next Halloween, get a life. <laughs> <laughs> See ya. Bye. Okay, dressed up as me. My son dressed up as me as Halloween one time. I saw that. I want yeah. to see um, had, uh, Delana's had, picture. He had a, a flat cap. He had big glasses. He had a gray wig on, long hair, gray <laughs> wig. I'm thinking, and a you know, black T-shirt like I always wear. But how does it feel to be a Halloween costume? That's a that's a level of fame only few uh, t- uh, ascend to. You know, there's a. I, I'm a wordsmith, and there's got to be a word for something like that. And I'm not sure what the word <laughs> is to make you feel sort of good and sort of not good. You know, and sort of proud, but sort of, you know, am I a caricature? Yeah, I'm a caricature. I feel character-esque. <laughs> we're going to take a break, folks. Me and Java and uh, Kevin Farrell is over there being our phone greeter today. Got all the big wigs here at Mississippi Public Broadcasting. We're going to take a real, real quick break. Oh, and I got some really cheesy music coming up, too. Stick with us. We'll be back more with the Gestalt Gardener here on Mississippi Public Broadcasting. Woohoo! Fix It 101 is a fun podcast with lots of home improvement information. Even if that's not your bag, all of the episodes are archived online. So if the mood strikes you or if the need motivates you, you can search your project. And yes, there is a Fix It 101 podcast for that. the flight of the bumblebee today is national bee day now excuse me world bee day like as in bumblebees i'm I'm taking it that way i'm taking it that way okay it might be national bee day i don't know (laughs) (laughs) i don't know but we're gonna stick with bee day yeah bee day yeah (laughs) shout out to the uh to the beehive (laughs) that's right that's right it got a whole bunch of them too you know this is a good time to remember that we cannot eat most of what we enjoy without bees and i'm not talking about honeybees you know a job a lot of people don't realize honeybees are not native bees they're from africa yeah, we have lots of native bees here. The, those big uh, bumblebee-looking things that bore into wood—the wood bees—they're incredible pollinators. They make their living eating pollen and pollinating plants. But there's some that are tiny little sweat flies and stuff. A lot of the time, those are bees. And a lot of people run from all of them. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, the, the the native bees—they don't sting. 
You know, they've got they're they're not bumblebees or wasps or honeybees. As a matter of fact, they all make their their uh, their nests in little holes in wood. And if you if you like to have these kind of native bees, uh, you don't have to get one of those fancy bee houses. They look like a bunch of straws and tubes and bamboo sticks in a little box. You can just pile some old wood up somewhere in your yard. That's where they drill the holes and lay their eggs. And the, even the little ones do that. And uh, all of my my. Uh, my blueberries were pollinated by little they look like bumblebees but they're tiny little things and that's what they do and they come out they pollinate stuff they lay their eggs in holes they stuff a spider or an insect or something in the hole so their baby will have something to eat when it hatches (laughs) and then they're gone for the year and that's one of the drawbacks honeybees pollinate all summer and into the fall uh, these things just pollinate in the spring, which is when most of our native plants bloom. Anyway, let's uh, let's talk to Gail. I can't. Now, see. first we got to go to Barbara in Olive Branch. Barbara in Olive Branch. What's going on in up in North Mississippi, Barbara? Yes. Howdy. Uh, um, I'm fine. Don't Okay, you speak up a little bit, Barbara. We're having a hard time hearing you, Barbara. Okay, let me see if I can figure this out. There we go. There we go. What's what's going on? Okay, I've got two different azalea foods, or azalea, camellia, rhododendron. One of them, um, it ha- it's obviously been wet at some time. It's kind of crumbly. Right. Is, is that okay to use, or should I it, just give it? It's perfectly fine. Fertilizer does not lose its strength. It can get hard and crumbly. It can get liquidy and all like that, but fertilizer doesn't lose its strength. So it would be perfect. But, you know, you don't have to use much to begin with. So, uh, you know, just take a chunk of it and throw it up on your shrub. Okay. And then another question. <clears throat> Excuse me. One of them is ten five four. Okay. And the other one is Miracle Grow. You mix with water. Right. And it is. 30, 10, 10. Yeah, there, there, if you if you put them out according to directions, you know, if you mix a Miracle Grow in the amount of water it recommends, and if you put the granular stuff out at the rate it recommends, they come out the same strength. The stronger stuff, you, it just gets spread a little bit further. Now, the real drawback is that the granular stuff it lasts a long time. It slowly dissolves, you know, over months, and it works better, steady, strong feeding. Miracle Grow is an excellent fertilizer, but it's strictly liquid and as soon as you get a rain or another watering it washes away so miracle girl is more like a quick uh just a little fast food quick pick-me-up unless you use it regularly the granular stuff usually once every year or two is plenty Oh, well, I'm going with the granular. <laughs> well, you know, use the granular stuff, and then if you got something that looks just kind of like it needs a little pick-me-up, hit it with some miracle Grow. Mm-hmm. Okay, I sure will. And thank you. I enjoy your show. I appreciate it, Barbara. Thank you for being part of it. Thank you. Okay, now, I see, see Java, I've got my bifocal sunglasses and not my regular glasses. I put this on, and all your screen completely disappears. So I'm going to so help I you out a little lean bit. lean forward here. <laughs> Bill, no, uh, Bill from Neshoba County? Yeah, let's talk with Bill. Okay. Hey, Bill, how are you this morning? I'm great. And you? So far, so good. Okay. Uh, I have a question about uh, building a muscadine trellis. Mm-hmm. I got a couple uh, and planted them, and I'm just wondering if I uh, put a couple of T-bars, I don't know, six feet away from them in uh, concrete, is that going to be enough to hold up the 
you know, in five years. The, yeah. Yeah, Here, here's here's the deal, Bill. Uh, you know, and I've been growing muscadines. I grew my first muscadine from a cutting back in the 1970s. My family had the oldest winery in the state. I've been I've done this so many, many, many years, and it always boils down to pruning and picking. You know, if you're going to train a muscadine, it needs to be trained. If it grows up in a tree, you're not going to get any berries because they're all up at the top. So you want to train it onto a trellis that you can pick easily, which means your hand's about level with your shoulders, and that you can prune easily. And so in general, most orchard, most, most vineyards have got a single or maybe a double wire about chin high with a vine every 20 feet. And then what you do is you grow the trunk, and then, you know, up to, up to the wire and then an arm growing in each direction. And that's the permanent thing. You can end up with a permanent trunk and two or four main arms on it. And every year, everything that grows off those arms needs to be cut back to little short stubs three or four inches long. So what starts out as what looks like a T or a Y ends up looking like a hairy T or a hairy Y. And every year, whatever grew, you cut it back to three or four inches long, and it, you end up with a bunch of little, a cluster of little stubs. So mm-hmm. everything, training it, you need to train it so you'll be able to prune it like that easily without having to get on a ladder. So uh, other than that, you know, there's no real, there's no real reason to do anything. Pruning and, and harvesting are going to be crucial for these things. So, so grow it where you'll be able to reach them easily. So uh, I'm not going to have a harvest that's going to bend over those T-bars. Uh, no, a, a, fully, a fully mature muscadine vine, you know, in, a, in an old vineyard is going to have uh, somewhere between 30 and 90 pounds of fruit, depending on the variety. Uh-huh. You know, let's say 50 or 60 pounds. And that's, you know, that's not that much, not that much. You, you want a good sturdy wire, preferably with a turnbuckle so you can tighten it up every few years because they tend to stretch. But no, okay. you, you know the main thing is, as long as the post is in the ground, pretty good bit, um, and, and you got one or two wires to grow it on, so you can prune it and pick it easy. Those are the most important. When people plant muscadine vines on on a trellis, I mean uh, on arbors and things like that, they can't pick them, they can't prune them, and it's just uh, a mess. <laughs> so uh, you know, think think you know, put your stick your arm straight out and wiggle them, and that's the way you want that vine to grow. Great. Uh, you got time for another question? Sure, if it's a good one. Okay. Well, <laughs> all my questions are good. Yeah. Uh, uh, I've been seeing a lot of stuff uh, about biochar. Yeah. And I yeah. understand how to do it, but I'm wondering what you think of it. And yeah. Well, should I do it? It's, it's a, you know, people are always people are bored with just dig a hole, put something in it, green side up. They got to elaborate on everything, and, and biochar is one of those elaborations on dig a hole. It, it, does it help? Yeah. Is it necessary? No. Do plants need it? No. So, you know, do it because you're interested, you're, you're engaged intellectually, you like to do stuff, but it's really not that big a deal compared to just plain old good dirt. So, uh, it, lo- it looks to me like I just, you know, do the process and make some biochar, and then I can save it until I need it? Yeah. Or do I need to use it right away? Well, you can, you can save it all you want. It basically is a type of charcoal. Yeah. So, yeah. so you know, if people do stuff that's not necessary, but it's fun, is interesting, and that's where biochar, biochar <laughs> fills in the interesting and fun stuff. But the people who promote anything are going to use the most verbose language you can imagine uh-huh. to make it sound really important. 
but biochar is just a good type of charcoal, and it, it does it help? Yeah. Is it worth it? Nah. Have, okay. Have fun, and that, you know, be engaged. That's the important thing, and and it will help a little bit. Okay. I, maybe I'll give it a try. Okay. Thanks. Thank you very much. Yeah, and was I grouchy on that one? No, it's funny. I was looking. I, I had never heard of biochar. What, what does it say there? It. Uh, let's see. When it, when I pull it up, the first thing it says, biochar is the carbon skeleton of biomass that has been, uh, I don't even know how to say this word, proletized to between 450 and 550 degrees Celsius. Uh, it's just a, a bunch it, of terms, like you said. It's, it's charcoal. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> and it has benefits, but not... Huge benefits compared to just plain old good dirt. I, I akin it to you know how sometimes you can go to I guess a a restaurant or whatnot and you may eat a good piece of meat or steak or something like that. Yeah, and it's like man, what did you do? Well, just put some salt and pepper on it <laughs> <laughs> or composting. You know, uh, yeah. There's books and books and books written on composting, thermophilic bacteria, bioactivation, and carbon nitrogen ratio, and you know, anaerobic bacteria. It's a leaf pile, folks. It's just a leaf pile, a fancy one and a sped up one. But it's just a, two rules for composting: stop throwing that stuff away, pile it up somewhere. Now we're going to talk about carbon nitrogen ratio. Bring it on. <laughs> So anyway, I don't know where we got got on a rant here. We got time for some calls. Yeah, we got these two calls. Then we got the cheesy tune. First oh, is Cindy and Brandon. Hey, C- Cindy, thank you for holding. How are you this morning? I'm doing good. How are you doing? <laughs> good. I kind of got off topic there for a bit. Uh, that's all right. That's quite all right. Well, what's up? What can we help you with? Well, uh, I'm calling for a bashful friend. Um, he's going to be getting, uh, some avocado trees. Mm-hmm. And, uh, not sure the lady she's getting them from, uh, has grown them herself. And she's got, her oldest one is two years old. And it hadn't, uh, produced, uh, any avocados. And I was just wondering if there was a male and a female, uh, species, if you had to cross-pollinate them. Um, you know, if you could just give me a little bit of information so she would, um, uh, be able to, uh, uh, grow them and produce, uh, okay. some avocados. Okay. A uh, couple of things. First of all, good question. And I don't remember if avocados are separate male or female. I'm supposed to know this. I don't think that they are, but let me ask you this. Does your friend live anywhere near Brandon? Uh, no, uh, yes, sir, she lives in Jackson. Okay. Uh, now, uh, avocado, re- avocado trees are going to be coming from Oklahoma. Right, but unless she grows them in a pot and brings them in every winter, they're going to die in the wintertime. Okay. The, the right. av- avocados, they won't even grow outside on the coast unless we have practically no winter at all. They're subtropical trees. So the only way she can be able to grow any fruit is if she plants them in a pot, keeps them pruned so they fit in her house every winter. Okay. All right. Now, when she sets them out in the springtime, should she set them out on the south side of her house? Well, they they need sunshine. These are tropical trees that people put hammocks under, you know, down down in in Florida and in Southern California. So, uh, you know, she just needs to be able to, they need sunshine, they need water, need a little fertilizer, and they need pruning into avocado bushes and pots because, like I say, they will not make avocados unless they're outside in the sun, and if you leave them out in the winter, they're going to freeze. 
Uh, right. Okay. Okay. All right. All right. But well, if you stay deal. if you stay tuned, I'm going to find out. There, I don't believe they're separate male and female. There are different varieties, though, so I'm assuming she's getting it from a reputable dealer. But uh, anyway, they will not grow outside in central Mississippi in the dirt. Okay. All right. All right. All right. Thank you very much. Okay, Cindy. Appreciate it. Uh, we do occasionally get, you know, people grow avocados from avocado seeds. It'll make a cool little plant, and it's a pretty little green bush in a pot. So I'm not saying don't do it. I'm just saying don't expect avocados. <laughs> Let's slide over to Ocean Springs. Gail, how are you this morning? Just fine, Felder. Good morning. Thanks for taking my call. I love your show. Thank you. This, this morning I'm coming around the corner, and I took a good look at my holly bush and couldn't believe it, it was has this gray, dusty, black, awful stuff, and little webs maybe. Now, I know I need to cut off the bed stuff, but what should I do after that? I'm, I'm not sure what it is. Is this all over, just on the leaves, or what? Well, it, uh, it's on the tips of uh, some of the branches. It's not, like, down all the way. It just seems to be going along the tips. You know, I, I can't picture that. I'm real familiar with hollies and most of the major uh, diseases and insects stuff, but I just can't picture it. Uh, yeah, so describe it again. Well, um, it's a, a, you know, a regular holly bush. It, it's not the, the dark green holly with the you know, nicely shaped leaves, right. or olives, and um, the the branches, the tips of the branches have just the leaves that are turning brown with little black spots, and it looks like there could be some kind of a, I'm not sure if it's mold or dust or what or a web. Yeah. And as I said, I plan on cutting that off, and my first thought was just maybe saturating it with neem oil to just stop it, but I, I'm not sure that's the best thing. I well, well, first, first of all, neem oil is one of those things you, you Google it and everybody says great, 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 great stuff about it. It's not that big a deal. It's a trendy thing. It helps with some diseases. It helps with some insects, but it's not a cure-all. It's not like taking an aspirin, you know, for, for, for whatever. So, what you describe, if the leaves are smaller, they're, if they're off-color, they got a little black spot, it wouldn't hurt to prune the plant back. That First of all, it gets rid of the, the, the damaged stuff. Uh, it also stimulates strong, healthy new growth farther down the branch. See, So that's never a good thing. And if the tr- plant's just under some kind of stress or if it's a temporary insect or disease, that'll take care of it. So light pruning you know, d- wouldn't come amiss. Um, but without knowing for sure what it is, I really can't remember. I, I can't recommend anything beyond that. Well, I'm going to go out and take a picture and send it to Mississippi Gardening. And maybe Do that. Help. Do that. Good yes. close-up picture. Uh, can I ask another question, please? Sure. I um, I had this beautiful big fern that outgrew its pot, so I, I separated it and put it into three other pots, and it's doing fine. Now, my question is, those ni- I'm calling the nitrogen balls. I don't know if that's the correct term. But those little balls that are all in the, the soil, you know, I had to cut back to, you know, the roots. Yeah, and just, the, those, can those, no, can they, those, they, 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 won't, they won't sprout anything. Those are strictly storage organs, strictly but storage. I put, but I put them in the compost? Oh sure, sure. They're just oh. going. They, yeah, they're going to. They're going to just little little bags of stuff that's going to slowly decompose. That's, I, I, the only thing I don't put in my compost is broken glass. I got Mardi Gras beads. I got dead raccoons. I got weeds. Got everything in mine. Uh, but anything that that will decompose can go in a compost. But uh, they're okay. you know these they don't sprout from those things. Well, I wasn't sure. I, I you know I haven't seen that before. This is my first beautiful fern I've ever had, and it's just doing so great. Well, now, this is an asparagus fern, right? 
No, it's a, just a regular fern fern. Regular fern fern. Oh, I thought <laughs> I thought I, I thought it's her. I thought you said asparagus. I was thinking about those white tuber things. No, it, these are the little round balls. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, it's, it's no problem at all. Can I put one more question, quick question in? Better make it quick, because I'm waiting on some really cheesy tune. Okay. Oh, good. Um, I have a lovely uh, lavender balloon plant, and it's just been hardy to come up in my garden every year. This year, it sent off a little baby off to the side. Now, I don't want two of them in that area, but I was thinking of transplanting the baby. Is this the worst time of the year to do something like that? Should I wait till fall? Move the seed up my it's, it's not ideal. Plants that are actively growing need all the roots and the connection between the roots and the dirt and the soil and the water and all that that, that they need. So moving a plant this time of year is really tough on it. If you can cut it back or thin some of the leaves out to take some of the stress off, it it, it, it probably will work. But it's not the best time. Okay, that's what I thought. Thank you so much for your help today. I appreciate it. All right, appreciate it. She has some good questions. I got stumped on two of them. And she brought up uh, what, Mississippi Gardeners. <laughs> yep, Mississippi Gardeners is a Facebook thing. A lot of people writing questions. And there's a there's a whole bunch of amateur gardeners. Hey, look at this. This is great. It's, you know, you know, God is good. We got great roses. You know that kind of. But there's a whole bunch of people who have good, good, solid questions. What is this? Or how can I do this? And real gardeners say, Here's how I do it. And then I say, Well, here's how it's done. They say, Well, you're an idiot, feller. Here's how Aunt Mamie does it. And uh, so, anyway, speaking of Aunt Mamie, I want to give a shout-out to Bassfield, Mississippi. I ran into a, a lady named Autumn last night at the Art Museum. Mm-hmm. She did a selfie to send to, to her, her, her mawmaw, mawmaw Martha Hutchinson. She says she's a longtime fan of us. So, anyway, shout-out to mawmaw Martha Hutchinson in Bassfield. We'll be right back. I could while away the hours Conferring with the flowers Consulting with the rain And my head I'd be scratching While my thoughts were busy hatching If I only had a brain I'd unravel every riddle For any individual In trouble or in pain with the thoughts I'd be thinking I could be another Lincoln if I only had a brain. <laughs> oh, I could tell you why the ocean's near the shore. I could think of things I never thought before. <laughs> and then I'd sit and think some more. <laughs> I would not be just a nothing. My head all full of stuffing, my heart all full of pain. <laughs> Gosh, I would laugh and be merry. Life would be a ding of dairy if I only had a brain. <laughs> <laughs> Okie dokie, folks. I wish I hadn't gone online during that break because I learned about how avocados flower. And it's really weird. They have both male and female flowers on the same plants, but each one opens up and closes over several days, and sometimes they're male and sometimes they turn into females and back and forth. And it's got this, it's complicated. (laughs) It's complicated. So if you, avocados have both male and female flowers on the same tree. And one avocado can make avocados. But don't read about how it happens. <laughs> it's, it's not legal in some states. 
Anyway, let's, let's talk to Marcy. Sorry, Java, in Ocean Springs. Hey, Marcy, how are you? Avocado. Hey. Hey, um, need to turn the phone down, uh, turn the radio down, because we, cause we got a delay in case I say something nasty. Okay, I just turned off my radio, but um, <laughs> I have I have a serious question today. Um, we have a huge live oak tree in the front yard, and so I need to call somebody to come take part of the limbs out, but I'm scared about it because I don't want the tree to get massacred, you know? I just... Yeah. How, how? What do I need to do to get some better filtered light to come through? Yeah, and this is a real—it's a real good question. You're right; it's really, really easy for somebody who, with a chainsaw, to booger up a tree. Uh, it's it's perfectly fine to, to thin out live oaks. They're 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 done like this all over the all over the country where they grow. Uh, but here's the deal: you basically are just thinning out some of the limbs, and then some of the branches on the limbs that are left. You know, and right. you start by thinning out the limbs. So the limbs that are left are spaced out, and they're they're strong and they're sturdy and they're clean. But so thin out the limbs, then thin a few branches off the limbs that are left. And other than that, the the only way you can really mess up is if whoever does it leaves stubs. You know, right. if if you were to uh, look, go, go look around some old trees, and you'll see where. Some cut branches have healed over completely. It's just like they were not there, but a little sort of a knobby-looking thing. But if you look around, you'll see somewhere the limbs were cut off a few inches long, and it healed around them, but it's rotting down through that hole in the middle. See, so the, the idea is to prune them so that food flowing from the leaves down the limbs towards the trunk is not going to flow back uphill. So don't leave any kind of stubs. Cut them down. Okay. You know, you don't want to leave a huge wound, but you want to leave it where it's sort of like a little bit of a knuckle. And if they if they make a good proper cut, anybody can do this. But if they leave stubs, it's going to cause decay. It happens all the time. Right. Okay. So well, it, you know, I, I, I try to do the ones I can reach with a ladder. Right. But um, I can't get way up in the tree. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're gonna need you can have need to have a professional arborist, uh, somebody who climbs a tree without using those spurs. A lot of times they strap these spurs on their shoes to make climbing easier, and mm-hmm. it just does terrible. They're illegal in some states on live trees because they punch holes in the trunk. But if you got some guys who can reach, get up in there with a bucket or ladder or ropes or something like that, and and they don't leave stubs. It's fine. One of the things, you know, this is a really valuable tree. It would be worth investing in having a professional arborist come by and do it. And you can t- doesn't matter what they say. If they can't show you their license, they don't have it, plain and simple. Okay. And if uh-huh. they don't have a license, it's for some reason. Okay, yeah. and it's the yeah. law. You're supposed to have a license to do this stuff. So if they can show you their license and you emphasize, I don't want to see any stubs when you're gone, everything will be fine. Okay, cool. One other quick question. I have a cross vine growing on the front of the uh, house. Me too. I know that I need to extend the trellis, but uh, it's brick. So, I mean, I've done trellis on brick before. Is there a certain kind of wire that I need to get? So, you gentlemen, going straight out like an arbor or just growing flat against the wall like an espalier or something? Uh, Yes, like against the brick. Huh. You know, I've done this so many times. I know that there's some special, uh, you know, the uh, f- screw type things you can put into mortar, and it holds uh-huh. well. You know, this might be a thing that you need to call the Fix It One Hundred One guys uh, on, on Wednesday. <laughs> you know what I've been wanting to ask the Fix It One Hundred One guys. 
about dogscaping. You okay. know, like I, I just got a book offline about dogscaping, and it's really good. That's yeah, good idea. I, I, I just got quoted. There's, there's a, a magazine called, it's about Labradors. It's all about Labradors, Lab Magazine or something like that. And uh, they just came up with a whole article that quoted me about dogscaping. But which is which is kind of fun. But anyway, as far as attaching things, I know that there's some anchor bolts that you can put into, you know, that that you can put directly into the mortar mix that hold. Right. And you can probably get them in a big. I have those. I have those. I just need to know the wire. Does it need to be coated? Oh no, that's not the big deal. I can answer that one. Okay. I All mean, right. you you can actually use barbed wire because I like the way it rusts. I think barbed wire is kind of oh, neat and oh. gives the vine something to hang on to. Oh, mm, no I've, thank you. I, okay, that's what I do. You asked me my opinion, I gave it to you. Oh, uh, okay. <laughs> well, can you talk sometime about dogscaping because I think a lot of people would like to know about that. I will. I will because this this some good fun. So chicken wire is a big part of dogscaping. I can't tell you that. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks so much. Okay. Appreciate it, Marcy. Welcome. That was a rambling conversation. I just learned some. I didn't know anything about this dogscaping, yes. creating your ultimate dog-friendly landscape. Yep. You know, dogs. You know, we this dogs live across the street from me, and they run up and down the fence, up and down, up and down, barking at me. Of course, I run up and down. I go back and forth. You know, I tease them, <laughs> but they've got a real smooth, hard pack path right along that fence that tells us they want to go somewhere. Yeah. Because they're bored. So, you know, you can do stuff like put a, a, a log out there. You know, you can plant vines at the, you know, put your sand pile that you can dig in. But I've seen all sorts of special things. You can, you can get a piece of uh, of uh, drainage pipe, that big, heavy drainage pipe, like two or three feet across, and lay it on the ground and pile dirt up to it. And it'll run through it like a tunnel. Wow. You know, and they'll sit on top of it and howl at everybody. And I guess, too, uh, something where with the fence, because a lot of times dogs like to dig yeah. in, under the fence. Yeah. And then next thing you know, they're loose uh, uh, yeah. around the yard. I guess you could. Yeah, that would be a well, part of dogscaping. Yeah, what, what you do there is you lay uh, a chicken wire along the bottom of the fence and out into the grass where you can mow over it because they have to stand on it to dig through it and they can't dig through it. Yeah. But that way, if you have it attached to the bottom of the fence and just going just two or three or four inches, maybe six inches into your lawn, they can't dig under it because they're standing on it okay <laughs> i never dogscaping i've learned something today yeah yep. all right let's go to uh to mike in jackson mike how are you sir i'm doing fine good what's up i just wanted to you to talk about stokesia um great plant under, underrated for this area i don't think many people know about it but i know they're starting to bloom what's your recommendation well, uh, first of all, I, I think it's interesting because when I studied, I, I heard it called Stokesia, and the guy named Stokes is named after said, no, it's Stokesia. <laughs> but Stokesia or Stokes Aster, named after a guy named Stokes, is actually a native plant, Mike. It grows naturally in Mississippi down in low wet areas. A lot, a lot of people don't know that. It looks like sort of big leaf, uh, it looks like monkey grass with, with wider leaves, fat leaves. And the flowers are bigger than a teacup you know you couldn't put it in a coffee cup they're and they're they're sort of a they're not blue they're not lavender there's pink ones but it's kind of a lavender blue color flower big flowers fantastic pollinator terrific perennial you can use it as monkey grass as a border uh it's just a terrific low-growing clump forming big powder puff shaped flowers that are native to mississippi 
Yeah, what about the white ones? I saw on the internet where they'll have white ones at the yeah. farmer's market. They're just white. They're white Stokesy. The, 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 the flowers look like powder puffs, uh, little, uh, uh, shaving brushes, what they look like. You know, lots of lots of little bitty, uh, you know, tiny filament type uh, flowers, and uh, most of them are kind of a purplish lavender blue, pale pale lavender blue. But they've got white ones. I think they've got some pink ones too, but it's easy to divide. It just exactly it grows exactly like striping monkey grass. You can divide them in half every year, and every year they'll get the same size again. But it's a terrific plant. Blooms in uh, they're starting to bloom in Jackson right now. All right. Thank you much. That's a great. Well, I want to know. I want. Why are you asking about this? I love them. I just want more of them. <laughs> well, you know, you can divide them like I wouldn't divide them now, but just like monkey. This is a guy who lives around the corner from me who has a, a really cool little uh, down by the street. He's got a flower bed that's got little small roses. He's got gladiolus. Got uh, daffodils. Got daylilies. But he has this stuff all over, and they're spreading by seed because that's what native plants do. Hmm. I didn't know they were spread by seed. Yeah. Sounds, sounds good. Cool plant, man. All right, thanks. All righty. I wish I hadn't read about avocados now. <laughs> and, and what the avocados, you can get those, like, if you buy avocado from the store. Yeah. Take that little pit out. That's the, that's this, the seed, that's right? That's the seed, yeah. And you, so you can just really plant that. Yep. But don't expect to become an avocado purveyor. <laughs> no, no. That's no. the same thing with uh with pineapples, correct? Like you get a pineapple and just yeah, well the the, the pineapple that little tuft of leaves on top of it, uh-huh. you cut it off with a little little disc, you know, just a little bit of the top of the pineapple and grow a whole new plant with it. Yeah, I th- yeah, I saw that. And uh, they're not going to be you know big pineapples because pineapples are pretty good sized plant. They get waist high. And they need a couple of years to make a good pineapple. Most people growing a little pot makes a little bit of pineapple. But it's a bromeliad. It's kind of cool. Kinda That's cool. a question I wanted to ask you because actually I was picking up my daughter from uh, from school the other day, and she noticed. I don't even think I noticed. There's bamboo growing um, here on the MPB. Uh, That's where I get my. T- don't tell anybody. That's where I get my bean sticks. <laughs> well, you know, back back behind the uh, the minister, the. Uh, 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 Construct what you know the maintenance building. Yeah, a lot of it back. But there. I, I I've noticed, and I guess around Jackson there are several little pockets of bamboo. But it's such a Asian centric type mm-hmm. of type yeah. of plant. How yeah. did do you know? I guess how it came around here. Yeah, people people plant it because it's a pretty plant. Here's the problem though: there's two main kinds of bamboo. It's stuff that stays in a clump. Mm-hmm. And the clump gets a little bigger every year, and the kind that runs. And they had runners that go 10, 15 feet, and next year a bamboo pops up at the end of it in your neighbor's yard. Yeah. You know, and uh, it's really, really hard to control. Okay. But uh, it's, a, it's a pretty plant. But uh, And there's some different kinds. There's, there's green kinds. There's golden kinds. There's variegated kinds. There's a black bamboo. It's just rich, chocolatey brown stems, and which is one of my favorites. But in most of the cases with bamboo, you need to plant it where it's going to be contained. Because it will run. Yeah. It will run. Speaking of stuff, cutting stuff, yesterday, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, you know, we're refurbishing the mash gardens and I are refurbishing the herb garden at the Ag Museum. And uh, I needed uh, some a little weaving fence, you know, where they you see fences that are woven, you know, look like a wood, you know, just woven wood. Yeah. Well, that's called wattle, W-A-T-T-L-E. And the easiest in, – in Europe and in Japan, they use willow. 
to weave the stuff with. Here we use crepe myrtles. That's what, you know, when people cut crepe myrtles back, mm-hmm. send out those long, skinny runners, and then they cut them off and they weave them into fences before chain link. Anyway, I went to the uh, to a, a place here in Jackson, not far from here, the, the School for the Deaf uh, and, and Blind. And they've got a bunch of crepe myrtles. They cut back every year, and they let me get a few stems to make a wattle fence. Well, yesterday I cut a bunch of them down. Of course, people are honking their horns, shaking my finger at me because of <laughs> what are of, you doing? Yeah, you know they call you know crepe murder. Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> anyway, I pile them on the back of the truck and uh, pulling out of the the gate, and the guard says, "They gonna be okay back there?" I said, "Yeah, no problem." Quarter mile down, oops, Qu- quarter mile down the road, <laughs> they all blew out of the back of my truck. And I was real sure that I had them secured. Anyway, people weaving all over the, the you know, in, in and out of traffic because I was dropping crepe myrtle stems all over the highway. Wow. It was great. It was great. You know, it's the kind of thing where I, if I had been told by two people it, I was going to mess up and I assured them I was not, it wouldn't have been nearly as funny. Now, Farrell, we've begun the whole show, and you didn't even talk about these plants. Well, you did talk about the oh, magnolia oh, a little bit, yeah. oh, but you got something in a pot. I, yeah. Well, also, I had this little flat root. It looks like a looks like a, a swollen finger off of a of an old glove. Is that ginger? It is a type of ginger, okay. and it makes leaves that get about not you know more than waist high. It got a beautiful exotic flower in the middle of it and uh anyway you you take these roots you skin them off and you cook with it called turmeric turmeric okay yeah you know which is big in asian uh cuisine uh from india and all mm-hmm. a lot of people take it as a health supplement and for what it's worth there's no <laughs> clinical evidence that it has any benefit at all sorry late night tv people but turmeric is mostly to, to for flavor and to give a yellow color to your food but anyway it's real easy to grow it's a pretty plant it's, it's uh related to what they call ginger lily or hidden ginger mm-hmm. really pretty exotic flowers anyway it's perfectly easy to grow but this this other plant i brought i borrowed this from ronnie agnew's office he's our boss the top <laughs> guy and uh, he's got he's got the scragglish looking old plants he needs a horticulturist on his staff oh that's right it would be me but this is called chinese evergreen aglionema it's really durable it's got variegated leaves low light low humidity it's a terrific indoor plant but i just want to show you the little flowers on it aren't those weird looking those are they look like funny. little white boats with a finger in the middle of them it's <laughs> called a spath like a peace lily people a lot of people know about the plant called peace lily mm-hmm. same kind of flowers well philodendrons and elephant ears here in people's yards have the same kind of flower i've got one called voodoo lily it's starting to bloom. I'm going to bring some in next week or two. That sounds spooky, man. It is. It comes up as about waist high. It's deep, dark burgundy, and it smells of rotten meat to attract flies to pollinate it. Ah. <laughs> anyway, we got to get out of here. we got some other folks coming in. All horticulturists fell to rushing, and me and Java and Kevin and all the other folks here at MPB. Thank you for tuning in for us. we got lots of programs during the week. Uh, anyway, if you get a chance, the farmer's markets are up and going. Garden centers are loaded with plants. It's National Bee Day, uh, uh, World Bee Day. Don't hug one, but tell them you're here, happy that they're here. Do what you can to make them, help, uh, make them happy. If you get a chance, take a kid to a farmer's market or a garden center. Get them a pot full of stuff. Show them how to do what we do best, and that's get dirty. We'll see you all next week. Woohoo! Thank you.